Hey Amazon selling enthusiast, it's Eric here. And if you're tired of the inventory management struggle, I've got a game changer for you. InventoryLab.com. InventoryLab simplifies e-commerce. Inventory management integrates seamlessly with Amazon and even syncs effortlessly with QuickBooks for hassle-free accounting. Go to FoxCitiesMM.com slash IL now because your success deserves efficient inventory management. Happy selling. You're listening to Fox City's Murder and Mayhem, your bi-weekly dose of true crime history in a small rural community of Wisconsin. Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of Fox City's Murder and Mayhem. I'm Eric Walterkins. I'm Gavin Schmidt. And Gavin, what kind of senseless murder do you have for us probably featuring somebody from Kokona? Uh, I don't know if there is anybody from Kokona this time. Oh. There might not actually be. I'm sure somebody will show up from Kokona at some point in the story. Yeah, maybe, but I don't remember that. Maybe we should make stop making fun of the amount of people that murder in Kokona. No, no. there's nope. no reason to stop. It's going <laughs> to keep happening. All oh, right. All right. So this time we're talking about Ronald Huff. He sounds like he's from Kokona. He is not from Kokona. <laughs> <laughs> okay, but... We'll get to Ronald Huff in a moment. The body of Green Bay barber Ronald Burnham, 29, was found at 3.30 p.m. on April 29, 1968, stabbed to death through his abdomen and heart in a barn in an abandoned farmhouse just outside of Seymour. And if people don't know, Seymour is a small town kind of between Kokona and Green Bay. That's a bad way to describe it, but that it's kind of... Over there. Did you see how he plugged that little bit of Kakana in there for you? <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of over there. So so this is going to be a really stupid question, and I apologize for this in advance, but sure. I just know that I am stupid. So you said he got stabbed in the a- abdomen and heart? Yeah. That's not like with one stab, right? That would be pretty amazing. <laughs> That's no. what I kind of thought, but I'm like, I'm pretty stupid, so maybe I'm... <laughs> no. That would be a heck of a knife. <laughs> that was where my head was at, and I just wanted to clarify. Now, that. you could. You could stab somebody in the abdomen and keep going until to you hit, hit their the heart. heart. But it would be one really long blade, right? Yeah, you'd really have to go for it. His oh. wrists and ankles were co- uh, were bound in twine, and the corpse had been decomposing for about a week. Two men from the local flour mill in Seymour stored grain in the abandoned barn. So when they came in to get some grain... They found this uh, this decomposing man with his wrist tied uh, and his stomach stabbed. So that wasn't that wasn't fun. And uh, I apologize. Did you say when this was? Nineteen sixty eight. Nineteen sixty eight. Okay. Yeah. The dead man, Ronald Burnham. His wallet was in a nearby field. A three inch knife was in a creek two miles away, and his car was found abandoned in Green Bay with bloodstains inside of it. Wow. So this is a pretty motivated killing. Yes. It took just over nine hours. And cooperation between the Seymour police and the Brown County police, they were able to identify the victim. They determined the likely killers. And after they identified the killer, they got a positive confirmation from his sister. So nine hours from not even knowing this guy was dead to figuring out who it was and who did it. So that, that is work. Some, some impressive police work there. Yeah. 
Not not really what we're used to hearing on this story. No. So. So one day after the body was found, police arrested three suspects in Green Bay. Ronald Huff, the focus of this story, who was 19 at the time. He had been released earlier that year from the state reformatory. Also arrested with him was 17-year-old David Murnow, or Murrow, and Huff's younger brother, Myron, who was found sleeping in a car a block from his home with some other kids who were also asleep. Ronald was charged with first-degree murder, and the other two were charged with aiding and abetting. Allegedly, Ron did the stabbing, Myron had tied up the man, and Murrow held a flashlight during the incident. All three were held on $25,000 bond each. Seems strange that the guy that's holding the flashlight gets the same bond as everybody else. Yeah. <laughs> but but I guess he was he's still, still taking he, part. Yeah, he's still playing a critical role in a murder, so... There was only one month between the arrest and the trial. What further investigation was done, I don't know. But for one reason or another, the heat on the boys quickly decreased. On June 7th, the district attorney reduced the charges to second-degree murder and aiding and abetting a second-degree murder. He told the media, if any of these three boys were convicted of first-degree murder, it would be a miscarriage of justice. With the charges reduced, all of them switched their plea to guilty. The district attorney said, I am absolutely convinced that Ron Huff is far and away the worst offender of the three, the ringleader and the dominant personality. The evidence suggested that Huff was alone with Burnham for 10 minutes before violence broke out. And first it was with fists before the knife. This suggested to the district attorney that there was no plan or premeditation for murder. Ron Huff said that he was only going to beat up Burnham, but he changed his mind after Burnham called him a punk. <laughs> he then became enraged and started to stab him. Burnham offered him $7,000 to stop killing him, but the killing continued. The district attorney said, my job is to see that justice is done, not just get convictions. And actually, he kind of did both in this case, because they did plead guilty, so they were convicted. In his client's defense, the defense attorney said that the victim had made unwanted sexual advances toward the young men while the four were in a car together. Burnham was, quote, obviously suffering from homosexuality and sex deviations. Huff was, quote, easily angered and, quote, loses his limits of control. The problem was, quote, the wrong victim meeting the wrong defendant because one was, quote, a man bent on deviation and a man easily angered and not interested in deviation. Is there, other than this testimony that this guy is saying that this is what happened, is there any evidence to suggest that? No, and thank you for saying that, because that's where I'm going to go. Okay. And uh, I just wanted to say, like, the reason I I expressly said that I'm quoting there, like, sometimes when I quote, I don't say quote. I expressly said it because I don't want anybody thinking <laughs> that <laughs> I'm saying this guy is a sex deviant. That's the, that's the words they were using. Mm -hmm. So, all right. I do, yeah, I do have some questions about how this case was handled. First of all, the press. I thought the media was very strange how they handled it. Normally, in the press, victims are kind of treated in a very positive light. They said, oh, you know, he loved his family, he loved animals, and they get people to say nice things about them because, you know, they're dead. You want them to, to mm -hmm. say nice things. But I couldn't find anything about that at all. It was like, they said, yep, they, they killed him, and that was like the last he was talked about. 
I found that very odd. But second um, is the prosecution. And exactly what you were kind of hinting at, the only evidence here is the testimony from the three boys, or young men, I guess, depending on how you want to to categorize them. And that's weird to me, because let's assume that the victim is gay, or was gay. Mm -hmm. That's probably a safe assumption. Did he try to make advances on these boys? I don't know. We only know what these kids said. Like, but, like, how did they end up in a car with this guy? How did they end up in an abandoned barn with this guy? Like, I, it, I find this all very suspicious. It, is this possible that this just never came up in the trial because they had already confessed? And really, I mean, at the at the point of you've confessed, isn't the trial just a formality in a way? Well, it didn't come up because there was no trial. Once they once Can, they switched the charges to second degree, they pled guilty, and there was no trial. No trial, but. It strikes me as odd that they reduced from first degree to second degree based on basically just what the boys are saying. They're like, oh, you know, he was just going to beat him up and it turned into a murder. How do you know that? How do you know they were not going there to kill him? How do you know this? Like, you only know what they told you happened. And I'm assuming you, so you said this murder actually happened in Green Bay? The murder happened in Seymour. Okay, so it did happen in Seymour. I thought you yeah. said that his car was found the in The car Green- was found in Green Bay. With blood in it. Yes, because they took the car after the fact. They okay. drove the man's car from Seymour and dumped okay, it in Green gotcha, Bay. Gotcha, gotcha. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So was the guy actually from Seymour then? He was... Well, he worked in Green Bay. Okay. They're, they did have a connection to Seymour. They, Everybody there knew Seymour. And... and, and this dumping place of the body, how does this play into it? This was just some random place the kids found to dump the body? They all they knew the area well enough to know that nobody lived in the farmhouse. House. Yeah. Okay. Like I said, I'm very suspicious of this, and I'm strongly tempted. I haven't done it yet, but I'm strongly tempted to actually request the police report on this. Just because I read this, and maybe this is wrong. Maybe this is me reading it 50 years later. But I read it as... These people killed a gay man. And the press is like, we're not touching that. Because at this time, you know, this guy's not going to get any sympathy for that. No. And then the same thing with the with the trial, where the trial was like, you still killed somebody. You're going to go to prison. But if we actually hold the trial and we have to put all this stuff out there, there's the chance that we could lose the case. I don't personally think that he's... Ma- I find it hard to believe they're all in a car and this guy's like... Making sexual advances yeah, to three people, people at, at once, once in a car. Yeah. That's weird to me. But but even just bringing up the fact that he was a gay man hanging out with young men, I think it might have been hard to get a conviction in the 60s. I think a jury might not have cared. They oh, might, they might have just said, oh, no, that's okay. Yeah. yeah. They might have been like, oh, he was he was flirting with you? Yeah, go ahead, kill him. <laughs> I mean, wow. not to be – I'm sorry. I mean, not to be like – cavalier about it but i think with the right jury you probably could have got away with that wow that's crazy yeah to think about and so your what your your theory on this is they just left all of that out of the case completely because they didn't they wanted the conviction basically this right. was a way to ensure that there was no oh well it was okay to kill him that's guy. that's my theory now i don't i can't back that up a hundred percent like i said this is me reading into it years later but that's the way I read it, is that the DA was like, if we charge them first degree murder, 
we're going to have to go to trial. If we can just agree ahead of time that they'll plead guilty if we lessen the charges, we can just forget this ever happened. It could be very wrong, but that's kind of why I want to see the police report, because I'm curious to know what they did find. Mm -hmm. Because they had to have looked into this guy's, the victim's background as part of the investigation. And did I miss it? Because you said that you're pretty sure that he was a gay man. Mm -hmm. Was there something that I missed that that indicated that? No. Other than just the fact that the kids said that he was making advances to him? There's nothing that that says it one way or the other, but the fact that that was their defense and like his sister or other family members didn't come forward and be like, that's a bunch of crap. Mm -hmm. Because again, I mean, even today, I mean, even today, even though we're pretty accepting of the gay people, the gay community, mm. you know, uh, still being accused of being gay when you're not is pretty offensive to some people. Yeah. So, yeah, at this point in time, I think the family would have jumped in and like, no, no, heck I no, mean, <laughs> you know, that's news to me or whatever. Yeah. yeah. So the fact that that they this was in the press and nobody was like, no, that's not right, leads me to believe that the family was Oof. just like, yeah, okay, we're just gonna let you're that go. Goal. Don't know. I'm reading into this, but that's how I took it. Okay, so there's a little bit more yet. Yeah. Okay. So regardless of what actually happened, they are found guilty because they pleaded guilty. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ron Huff, the main person involved, was sentenced to 25 years in prison. His brother Myron and their friend David were each sentenced to 10 years. Now, I'm not sure exactly how long each of them served, except for David Murrow, I know, served his time in Green Bay and out of... The 10 years he served, three. So that's pretty... First of all, he only got 10 years for killing somebody? But he's the guy holding the flashlight. Okay, okay. So so before you were defending him, <laughs> before you were like, he's not even the killer, which he's not. But that, and keep in mind again, the, the main guy was 19, the two other guys were 17. Okay. So that could play a big part, part in, in how this. much time you're going to serve. Because you could play the defense that they were just following the lead of the older guy right. type theory. Right. I mean, you're not, usually you're not going to get life in prison when you're 17 unless it's something really, really bad. bad. The reason I know that this guy only served three years out of 10 years is because there's more to his story. No, really? <laughs> yes. So David Moreau gets out of prison. He gets married. They have a son. But he doesn't stay out of trouble. He has an extensive police record throughout the 1970s. He then gets divorced. He's frequently unemployed. He finds it hard to hold a job. He ends up living with his mother in Green Bay. Now, a slight detour for a moment. June 1981. So we're going ahead in years a little bit here. Members of the Drifters Motorcycle Club broke the windows out of Kenneth Phillips' car, ransacked Phillips' home, and beat Phillips. In October 1981, Phillips, David Moreau, our guy here now, and Philip's wife, Crystal, along with a man named Bob Verts, so, you know, try to keep these names straight for a moment, they were all drinking at various bars and private houses all around the Green Bay area. And during that evening, Phillips told a friend that he wanted to kill Moreau because he thought that Moreau was the one who had told the Drifters Motorcycle Club where to find Phillips. So after Phillips has been beaten up and having his window smashed out, he thinks that his friend, quote-unquote friend, David Moreau, is the guy who led the drifters to him. Okay. 
They're all drinking together on October 16th. On October 21st, a couple days later, the body of David Moreau, now 30 years old, is found in a swamp in Howard, just outside of Green Bay, on a frontage road along Highway 41 by two hunters. He had two bullets in his head, and the police quickly determined that he had been in the swamp for a few days. The lack of blood at the scene suggested that he had been shot elsewhere and dumped in the marshland. Suicide was immediately ruled out because there was no gun near him. <laughs> so somebody, oh, that, what if you're shot twice in the head, you usually didn't do it yourself. And it's got to be this Phillips guy, right? Maybe. 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 Oh. After the body's discovered, Phillips goes to the police. But the police don't want to talk to him because he's drunk. <laughs> Phillips comes back to the police department the next day, and he tells the police that he had last seen Moreau at the bar on the day that he had disappeared. Phillips told police that he and Moreau had separated, and he did not know what happened to him after the bar. A couple days later, the police came back and talked to Phillips at his house, and Phillips said, maybe the Drifters Motorcycle Club were involved in his murder. He's friends with the Drifters Motorcycle Club. They're bad guys. A few days after that, Phillips again goes to the police. He repeated that he had seen Moreau that night at the bar, and he said, I threw my arms around him because we were such close buddies. I wouldn't kill him. We're friends. So no, hold on. Is he going into the police department on his own volition and yes. saying this stuff? Like, yes. the police aren't calling him in to question him. No. I mean, to me, that just sounds like he's admitting guilt. <laughs> like, yes, he repeatedly goes and talks to the police, but at no point was he a suspect. He was never arrested. He did not have his, his rights read to him. He just keeps coming back to talk to the police. Weird. The only time the police ever did anything was when they came to his house to talk to him, but it was completely voluntary. He could have told them to go no. away. The case is unsolved for almost a year. In August 1982, there's a John Doe hearing, one of those special Wisconsin <laughs> things where you can call people in and ask them all kinds of questions secretly and then find out if the crimes were committed. So they, they had a John Doe hearing to kind of look into this murder and maybe some related crimes. We don't know because they're secret. Mm -hmm. But they looked into it. And after the John Doe hearing was over, Phillips was arrested for aiding and abetting the murder. And Bob Vertz, the other man who was at the bar that night, was arrested as the actual yeah, killer. They went to trial. The prosecution entered evidence that after the murder, Phillips bragged about his involvement in the murder. He also said that if his friends told authorities that he was involved in the murder, the same thing would happen to them. He admitted to his brother Ralph that he had been part of the murder. And then after he admitted to his brother Ralph, he went around town and started telling other people that Ralph was the murderer. Wow. <laughs> Phillips is an interesting character here. I would say so. Uh, at trial, he testified in his own behalf. He denied that he was any part in it. Uh, he said that after they were at the bar that night, they were driving around, and it was Vertz who got into a fist fight with David Moreau. Phillips said that Vertz told him that he wanted to kill Moreau because Moreau had arranged to have Phillips beaten up by the members of the Drifters. So this time, it's the same story, but instead of Phillips being mad about it, it's his friend being mad about it that he's sending the Drifters <laughs> after them. Which seems a little strange, but okay. Phillips said, I told Vertz this isn't true. Moreau wouldn't have sent the drifters after me. I don't think you should kill him. But Ferds didn't listen, and he asked to borrow a gun from Phillips, which Phillips gave to him. <laughs> of course. <laughs> and then 
Phillips, after realizing what the gun was for, tried to break up the fight, but it was too late. Wirtz then shot and killed Moreau while Phillips was nearby. He had to, the aiding and abetting part comes in where he had to then try to get rid of the body. Uh, long story short, both of them go to prison. prison. <laughs> the Drifters Motorcycle Club may actually come up again. It won't come up again recently, like in the near future. But uh, there's at least one other notorious murder they were involved wow. in uh, that was featured in America's Most Wanted. Wow. So um, if anybody wants to hear another Drifters story, <laughs> there's at least one more. The other guy in our original murder, Myron Huff, seems to have gone on living a fairly normal life. He never learned to read or write. He moved to North Carolina, and he devoted his life to Jesus Christ and collecting vintage pornography magazines. (laughs) How in God's name did you find that out? Like, is there a news article that that follows up what what happened to him and happens to mention that he collects vintage (laughs) pornography? Yeah. But not, you know, not the nasty stuff. (laughs) The vintage, the classy ones. The, the, the taste, tasteful stuff. Yeah. And the main killer, Ronald Huff, will return in our next episode. Ooh. All right. So that was a super, super setup for the part two of the part episode. Part two. I'm trying to think if I got any questions for that one. Covered that pretty well. Yeah, that was pretty, mean, pretty smooth. So, so do you think Phillips was just crazy? Or was he just... Mm, I don't know if he was crazy. Um, I mean, other than this, I don't know I don't know his backstory well enough. Yep. So I don't know if he's crazy. I don't know if he's violent. Or if this was just a situation that got out of, got out of got control. Out of hand. Yeah. And, and I mean, but I just the stuff he's saying when, like, some of the stuff you said he said, like, like, well... I told him not to kill him because he probably didn't report me or whatever yeah. the drifters. But then I gave him a gun, right? But I, because I didn't know he was going to kill him. Like, like, right? Come on, dude! You yeah. got to come up with something a little bit better than that. Yeah, it's it's really weird. I mean, so the the guy gets killed, and then Phillips. I don't know if Phillips. Maybe he's just a big drinker to begin with, but. You know, but he's drunk when he goes to the police. So maybe he's feeling really guilty and he's been drinking. I don't know. Maybe he's just always drunk. So there's that. But yeah, then like his cover story is weird. Like at first he knows he's going to be a suspect. He knows that sooner or later someone's going to figure out they were all at the bar together. So instead of waiting for the police to come to him, he goes to them and he's like, oh yeah, we're buddies. It totally would not have happened. And then, and then at some point, I think he figures out that the bullets inside of the guy are going to match his gun. <laughs> so then he has to like re-decide, okay, now I have to figure out how my gun got there, but it wasn't me. So I don't know. I, I mean, if this version of the story is true or if he was the shooter, this is all kind of made up. I don't know. I mean, again, it's... One of those things where the only two people who would tell you what happened are the two guys who were there. there yeah. And they're both going to lie to try to cover their butts. Well, it's, so. yeah. it's an interesting story. And, and wow, it's just kind of a long stretch. I mean, these three people, we start out with three people and it sounds like they're going to, well, except for the guy who, I mean, lived a pretty uneventful life. Yeah, Myron doesn't come back. But, but I mean, a nice little kind of story to follow over a couple episodes which is kind of cool yeah myron um i again i don't know speculating but i get the impression that you know he's the younger brother 
he was probably just tagging along and he's not a bad person Mm -hmm. so you know he served his time and he's like okay i'm out of this what was his role he was the guy who tied up he tied the ankles and wrists of the of the person which is not good but I mean, but if his older brother's telling him to do it, I yeah, get it. Yeah, and, and he probably was tying up his wrists and ankles, not thinking that his brother was going to kill the guy. Right, You know, just right. thinking that, oh, we're going to scare him or whatever. Yeah. So, you know, it was like a dumb childhood thing that just got the next person along the line took it way too far right. on him. Yeah. So, I yeah. mean, I, I'm willing to give him the benefit of the doubt on that. Cool. Well, I'm really excited to hear the second half of this. So, the second part's way weirder than the first. Well, that's kind of scary, actually. <laughs> but, but, all right, do you got anything else? Not, not for now, I don't. All uh, right. Just everybody should hold on uh, for those two weeks Same. because I guarantee you it's going to be worthwhile. <laughs> <laughs> this this story, uh, well, I will, I will say this. We've kind of uh, suggested this in the past, but the way that Fox City's Murder and Mayhem podcast works is... I pick out a topic basically just off of a headline, mm-hmm. and then I start researching it. So by the time I've like committed to that's what's going to be the story, I don't know what the story, story is going is. to be. Yeah, I knew that the story was three young three young guys kill a Green Bay barber. That's what I knew what the story was. I didn't know about the follow up murder, and I didn't know any of the stuff we're going to talk about next time. Like, <laughs> so there's always some things that go in completely unexpected directions. That's part of what makes this podcast so, so fun. Yeah. Because totally. it's like so many strange people out there. Yeah. And so much interconnection and all yeah. that stuff. So so cool. All right. Well then but we'll, nobody from Kukana. Nobody from Kukana again. <laughs> Don't worry, next podcast or the episode after this episode, I'm sure we'll have somebody for you. Yeah, we'll so, we'll bring it back. Yeah. <laughs> So, all right, everybody, thanks for tuning into this episode. If you enjoy this podcast, please leave us a feedback on your favorite podcast player. And if you're not listening to Milwaukee Mafia, I don't know why you wouldn't be, but please do listen to Milwaukee Mafia. I heard it's good. Yeah. (laughs) And uh, I will see you in two weeks with another episode. Thanks, everyone. Thanks for tuning in to Fox City's Murder and Mayhem. Join us in two weeks for another exciting episode of Murder and Mayhem.